Duval Nation, Derek here. The following episode discusses mental health issues such as addiction, depression, bipolar disorder, and sadly, suicide. If these topics are too upsetting for you, you have my permission to give this episode a pass. If you are struggling, please call 988 or go to 988lifeline.org to be connected to a suicide crisis counselor. You are not alone. Reach out. That's all you have to do. Now on with the show. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, folks, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duval Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duval Nation. Hello. Hi, everybody. Wow. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. Hello. Hello. Thank you, everyone. Please, everyone. Thank you, Sid. Hello, Duval Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duval Show. The Dalek Island to you all, we are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to say a massive thank you to my last guest, Andy Fry. The episode was incredibly well received, and man, what a fantastic conversation we had. Folks, if you haven't had a chance to check out the episode, I encourage you to do so after the conclusion of this particular episode. All right, folks, welcome to episode 112. We have a fantastic and in this case, very important episode for you today, folks. We have on the show Tiffany Herring. Tiffany is a crisis intervention team coordinator who focuses primarily on mental health, crisis de-escalation, and works closely with law enforcement to teach methods to safely de-escalate crisis calls. Plus, we'll be talking about Tiffany's new book, Simply De-Escalate. So, lots to cover today, so let's dive right on into it. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet. I welcome all the way from Greenville, North Carolina, Crisis Intervention Team Coordinator, Miss Tiffany Herring. <laughs> Tiffany, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? Yeah, it's uh, warm here, and we should have a really pretty sunny day. For- oh, terrific. So I start my interviews off with the same with every other one, and that is how has it been for you? to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic up to this point? Oh, wow. Um, So most of what I was doing during the pandemic was face-to-face training with law enforcement and first responders. And unfortunately, that came to a halt. That was called crisis intervention team training. That was a 40-hour training where we really covered like mental health. We did a lot of site visits and visited different service providers in the community and things like that. So you really can't do something like that that's really hands-on virtually. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of came to a standstill for a little bit, but I stayed busy with it's actually called QPR training, question, persuade, refer. It's a suicide prevention training. So that was something that I was able to offer virtually and that we continued to do throughout the pandemic. So we definitely were doing some pretty good work. I know that suicide prevention was totally needed in, in 2020. Um, just to kind of touch on those numbers really quick. It actually looks like if you if you go to the CDC and you look at the suicide numbers for 2020, they actually look like they went down 
for the first time in like over 20 years. If you kind of dissect that and you look, you'll see that COVID-19 actually bumped suicide out of the top 10 in 2020. So it's still an issue. It's still bigger than ever. But COVID-19 definitely skewed those numbers for us a little bit. I remember something similar uh, the first year, the, the winter of 2020. I remember it was the lowest reported flu cases since we've been keeping records because everyone was wearing a mask, staying away from each other, which is how the flu was transmitted. The flu numbers were the lowest since we've been keeping records. I thought that was a very interesting statistic. Yeah, it's it's very interesting how throwing COVID in the mix just really mixes things up a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Sure. I grew up in a little town out uh, southwestern Pennsylvania halfway between Pittsburgh and Wheeling, West Virginia, called Charleroi. It's along the Mon Valley, very blue collar, a lot of of poverty. Grew up, my father was the police officer in that town. And uh, growing up in that area at the height of the opioid epidemic definitely left an impact on me. Um, It affected a lot of my classmates. A lot of my classmates are still struggling, those that fortunately are, are, you know, well enough to still be with us. But, but I definitely saw a lot of things growing up that even now I'm older, I don't have children, but I have nieces and nephews. And I think, oh my gosh, where I grew up is so much different than, you know, how these kids are being raised. But, but, but I know that there are still areas like that in the United States that exist. And I do work in, you know, quite a few of them here in North Carolina. It's challenging. It's challenging now, especially with fentanyl being thrown in the mix that these kids are really, you know, under a lot of pressure, you know, wanting to experience very impulsive, getting their hands on some pretty, you know, tough and sometimes deadly, you know, substances. Here in Tulsa right now, we're having the northern part of the city, north, uh, is very low income, impoverished area. Meth, amphetamine, unfortunately, is the is the killer here. Every time you hear a house fire, you're like, oh, it must be in a meth lab. Because they're just a dime a dozen here. Wow. Yeah. If I'm understanding correctly, right, you mentioned earlier your father was a police officer. Was your whole family involved in law enforcement? No, my dad was actually, um, he was a Vietnam veteran. He joined the service when he was 16. He got his parents to sign. Um, He was, you know, kind of getting out of a situation and divorce and things like that that were going on. And then he decided to get into law enforcement. And I think that left a pretty big impact on myself and my brother. My older brother is a police officer in Washington, D.C. So, you know, I think we really watched him a lot. We saw his his kind of candor and, and his rapport that he had with our community and and I remember just you know take taking a ride in the cop car to the gas station and hearing him talk to you know just everybody there you know the attendant the people coming in hey how you doing and really community policing you know before his time and uh, I really admired that and I knew that you know he had this gift of gab and and I learned early on that wow our words were really powerful and especially when you hold the role of something like a police officer or a nurse or a doctor a teacher you know all of your words matter and, and everything that you say or do is going to get some type of reaction out of another person so when you think about crisis when you you think about people who are escalated and especially growing up in an area where I did where you know it was about to go down if you said something you talked some smack it was going to get into a physical altercation and I definitely realized early on how to defend myself but I also wanted to learn you know how to not get my pretty face messed up you know I don't want to fight so you know what are the things I need to say and do to kind of get out of these situations and I think a lot of people now that we are older and professionals right it can't always come to blows we really need to be able 
able to be rational and we are rational, intelligent beings. And so we can use our words and our words are very powerful and it can mean the difference between, you know, confrontation or compliance. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite memories from your time at East Carolina University? Oh my gosh, you're asking me to remember a very fuzzy few years of my life there, Derek, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Pirate Nation, you know, we've got one of the best college towns here in America, so it was a lot of fun. Oddly enough, I didn't have the traditional college experience. When I attended ECU, I was actually a detention officer in our county jail for a few years, and then I decided that I was going to go to school full-time and got my bail bonding license to be able to get people in and out of jails. And that was definitely very eye-opening learning about, you know, bail in America and, you know, how that is kind of a disadvantage for some of our lower income people who, who do get caught up in the criminal justice system to have that opportunity to get out and even get their own, you know, representation. And, and a lot of these people can't afford private attorneys. They're getting public defenders and they're coming from you know, sometimes really tragic circumstances and many times they're just doing the best with what they got or they're, you know, doing the best with the learned behavior, you know, from their parents and the people that taught them and, and may not have been always the best ways. So that being said, your non-traditional college experience, does that lead you to your current life path? Um, I, I think so. I, I, I know whenever I, I worked in the detention center, there was always, especially for the women, and and I'm kind of more of a, a feminine type of woman, you know, that, that they wanted us to kind of put on this front of being like, you know, oh, you're big and bad and walking around and but I learned early on that respect got you so far. And, and why would I want to talk to, you know, an offender or an inmate any different than I would talk to, you know, my fellow officer or a sergeant or lieutenant? Everybody deserves that mutual respect. You know, I've worked with so many officers who are walking through a cell block and someone's like, hey, CEO, what time is it? And they're like, uh, time for you to lay down and be quiet, you know, just tell the person what time it is. What is that hurting and, and that respect? Who who knows who's going to be coming out because you are in close contact with them? You know, who's to say that someone's not going to attack you? And, and sometimes I would rely on that other inmate to come and help me because they were like, no, you're not going to mess with Officer Rittenauer. or she's one of the good ones. We're going to take care of her, you know, and not that you want to trust that that's going to happen, but I did have that respect and rapport with these individuals that I did feel very safe when I was in that environment, being a fragile, you know, smaller female, just because of the conversations and the communication that I was having with, with these folks. Now, you are a crisis intervention team coordinator. And for what I've read, you have worked closely with, you know, several law enforcement agencies. What are the lessons you are applying to assist law enforcement in de-escalating dangerous situations? Yeah, I think the hardest thing for law enforcement is sometimes setting their ego aside, right? And there is a lot of power. When you have the power to arrest someone, to take their rights away, to put them in jail, and to think about the process, right? And and I always taught officers to, you know, look at the the intent behind it, right? If you get called to, you know, Walmart, and there's a gentleman who, you know, maybe has some body odor, looks a little dirty. He hasn't had a shower in a couple of days. He's got a backpack. And in that backpack stolen from Walmart is shampoo and some razors and some top ramen. You know what I mean? Stepping back and asking yourself, you know, was this person 
trying to commit a crime today? Or was this person just trying to survive? Was this person hungry? Did this person want to take a shower? And really stepping back and saying, how can we, you know, bypass the criminal justice system and find services in the community to link these two so that this person can have housing and food and employment? All of those things are really important. And the number one factor that's going to reduce recidivism, that's going to cause someone to stay out of jail and not reoffend is good employment. We have to be getting these people's jobs and we have to be able to offer good jobs to felons because the majority of people that go into our prisons are going to be back with us someday. They're not all going in there with life sentences. So we want them to be prepared. We want them to be rehabilitated and we want them to come out and be contributing members of society. That's what it's all about. I remember hearing a quote not long ago. I'll have to look it up or who said it, but it was the United States, we should be waging war on fascists, not poor people. That kind of stuck in my brain a little bit. Yeah, it is. And, it, and it's really hard, you know, especially now we're just coming out of like political climates and things like that. And and you really kind of see the role that that plays in, in our communities, right? You know, do we want to take this money and, and you know, really create a park and, and spruce up, you know, maybe add a ball field and some swings, or maybe we want to address housing and food insecurity and some things. And sometimes that unfortunately doesn't win out over that. You know what I mean? Sometimes we do choose, you know, these other things that we enjoy, but we kind of forget. And especially if we didn't grow up in that situation or we're not working with people who are in that situation, it's very easy to kind of avoid and, and ignore that that's happening. But when your boots on the ground and you're in it every day and you're seeing the suffering that's happening. And I think that's really why I just kind of added self-care in here with de-escalation too, because when you're working with these people and seeing sadness and trauma every single day, and for you not to be affected by it is impossible. There's a wonderful quote that says, you know, working in a field like such as, you know, the medical profession or law enforcement and expecting not to be traumatized is like expecting to walk through water and not get wet. It, it's impossible. You know, you're seeing it and, and, and you're, you're taking all of this pain in and you try not to internalize it, you know, at the end of the day, but sometimes it's impossible and PTSD is a real thing. And, and not just in, in, with our veterans and law enforcement, I think sometimes we like to kind of, you know, put that on them. And, and that's true. We do have to be concerned with them, but we have to be concerned with a lot of these other people who are working with these populations and, and these impoverished people and people who, you know, who really re rely on, on our help as the helpers, you know, right. but the helpers have to stay well, too. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Tiffany Herring. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that eggnog and take some super long, deep breaths, you know, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Give a couple of friends of the show your attention, and we will be right back. Hello, this is Erica, host and guide of the YouTube vlog Mon Jardin au Coin. I invite you to join me as we explore the many joys of gardening, such as sowing seeds, raising plants, and the reward of harvesting. If gardening is something you're interested in, or you just want to follow my adventures and receive tips to help any novice break into starting their own garden, you can find Mon Jardin au Coin on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I look forward to having you hang out with me in my little garden on the corner. This is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, Sorrow, available on all major streaming platforms. 
and you can check my site out at patrickbakermusic.com. Don't leave my upper heart alone on the water. Cover me in ragged bones. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duvall Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy, it is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. In today's story, Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Hi, it's Michelle Fabre, and you can hear my new single, Last Chance for Love, on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other streaming platforms. Last chance for love, last chance for love, can we make it? Just tell me so. Hello everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. 
Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 112 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with Crisis Intervention Team Coordinator, Tiffany Herring. I want to talk to you about your book, Simply Deescalate. Great title, by the way. What was the driving force to write this book? Um, I, I feel like there was, I just kind of saw like a need because I feel like de-escalation is taught so much to teachers and, and nurses. And I was like, everybody needs to know these skills. I love, you know, some of the populations I've been really surprised reaching out with my book is, is pastors, you know, and, and, you know, I, I go to church a few times a year, but, you know, I'm really not in the church. And so, you know, I, I guess I don't realize how many people, you know, in a, in a church community may go to their pastor with problems with their job, issues in their marriage, and how much that pastor sometimes does, like, they do need to deescalate those people in that situation. So that's been really rewarding to, to get that feedback from them and to help them. I'd say what kind of initiated this idea was hearing from some individuals who work with public transit in the Wilmington area specifically. They were, when you think about individuals who take public transportation who need to use our buses to get to you know work to doctor's appointments you know those aren't the people that have a whole lot of bank you know money sitting in their bank account they don't even have a you know a vehicle to get to work you know they're taking public transportation you know maybe to these doctor's appointments and they're going into crisis on the way or you know people are grieving especially this time of year you know we we sometimes perceive you know thanksgiving and christmas as a time for everybody to be happy it's the holidays but it can be the depressed most depressing time of year for some of us who are grieving and and so you just never know who you're going to meet and who's going to actually need you to kind of give them your heart and your hand in that moment to listen to them and get them through people really like to be validated and heard that's really important what has the feedback to the book been like? Has it been very well received? Well, I mean, I'm self-published, so I do a lot of things like this to try to get, you know, get my name out there. I've had such amazing feedback, and it's it's really beautiful to just hear strangers reach out and talk about, you know, just how these skills really help them. And and I also hear, you know, a lot of this I wrote because I have a passion for mental health. So I've had a lot of people who, you know, live with depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, who are like, you know, thank you for writing this because, you know, you can help my family and my friends realize how to, you know, manage me whenever I'm in a crisis situation. So that to me is, is very rewarding as well. In your humble opinion, what is law enforcement getting right and wrong right now in crisis situations? I think that there, this is kind of the, the hard part is I think that a lot of law enforcement, they do want to do better, but the fear is still there. I think there is a lot of stigma. I think that if you are somebody who, you know, maybe didn't grow up with a lot of other, you know, cultures or races, you need to familiarize with, you know, those individuals in those communities because not everybody is raised the same as you. And I think that's really what I try to open their their eyes to and their minds to is that you really have to try to meet people where they're at. You know, 
not every, just because you got called to the scene that day and this person has been on drugs, you know, and you've just reversed them from Narcan, they're fighting, you know, they're like, no, why did you do that? Well, they just spent their last $20 on that high. And now they're figuring out how they're going to make the next to get the next high. And you're saying, no, you got to go to treatment. You got to go to rehab and this person isn't ready. And until this person is ready, they're not going to hear it. And so I think that a lot of times law enforcement can kind of initiate that process. I think we can recommend services. I think we can recommend treatment, but I think we, we don't, we really have to separate ourselves to not be disappointed when someone doesn't, you know, take our advice. You know, how, how often do you listen to advice? You know, I'm the type of person that I have to learn in my own way and in my own time. So I think patience is a virtue. That's another thing is when law enforcement agencies are incredibly understaffed and they're running from one call to the next, and then they get to this call with someone who's feeling depressed or self-injuring or suicidal. And they're like getting calls like, Hey, we got more calls. You know, you've got to wrap this up. You got to go. And they're like, but you don't understand. I think this person might be trying to kill themselves. I can't leave and trying to facilitate, like, am I going to have a mobile crisis team? Am I going to have to IVC this? person and take them to the hospital because that's a lengthy process. And a lot of these people are really burnt out because they've been to the hospital before and they've been met with apathy because I'm, I'm going to break some news. Our general hospitals are not well equipped to handle the mental health crisis. And a lot of times when people go, they are very disappointed. Um, they do have those people who are looking down at them, you know, judgmentally, like you're a drug user, you know, and they feel that and nobody is going to up and open up to or trust anybody that they feel is against them. And that's why it's so important to just listen and get on this person's level without that judgment. The same care that we would want our loved one to receive. You know, if this was my mom, if this was my sister, if this was my brother, how would I want them to be treated in this moment? And that's really what we have to keep in mind with mm -hmm. the escalation. I'm glad that your conversation is going this way because it builds into my next question. That is, you know, with the mental health crisis here in the United States, and especially the United States, what can the government be doing better to address these problems? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, I, I think that we are a we're more reactive than proactive. I think we need more programs. I think uh, we're seeing a lot more programs in jails. For the longest time, people would go to jail and just sit there. There was no programming. There was no help with, you know, mental health care or what was going to happen if they did get released. You know, it was all just waiting to go to prison to get programs to get treatment. Now we're all, we're starting to offer those in county jails. I mean, I think that's a great start to systemic change, having peer support specialists coming into jails and prisons, people with lived experience, people who have, you know, been to jail themselves and, and who are doing well, they need to be coming back and encouraging those others, like, look at me, I did this and you can do it too. And it's the same with substance use, you know, and, and, and there are so many people who are in recovery now who are doing so well, who really want to get on that path of like being a peer support specialist. And they're like, well, am I ready? Am I ready? You know what, if you're at ready to get out there inspire is relapse a possibility absolutely for anybody struggling with addiction but if you want to go out there and help others you know there is no minimum time that you need to be clean i mean you need to feel well you need to feel like you are well equipped to help others but you know we need more people to to be able to stand up and say you know i've been through this too and let me help guide you out because the clinical people the psychologists they're wonderful but they might not have walked the same kind of path as some of these other individuals. 
if someone today is listening to this uh, interview and is interested in joining your field, what would be the best advice that you could give them? Oh, gosh, I just think that you really have to be good. You have to be good. And, and, I, and I know I, I, I can't speak from the clinical point of view. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a, you know, a therapist or anything like that. But I think just surrounding yourself with, with the people that you admire. I mean, I, I think that if you want to be a photographer, you know, find someone who takes pictures, you know, learn, learn what they do. And I think that I take in a lot of interns. I usually have two or three interns every semester, like come get experience, like on the job, putting yourself out there, you know, fundraising for different charities and, and planning events to, for advocacy and awareness. And so I think just, if this is something you want to do, I'm also the president of my local NAMI chapter, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, you know, get involved, go to support group meetings, lead a support group meeting, you know, find something that, um, you know, with your skill set or something that you feel passionate about and find those people to really um, mentor you along the way. This has been a very heavy interview. So as we enter the final phase of this interview, I always like to lighten it up, ask one fun question. Okay. Sure. Yeah. When you are doing this, what do you do for fun? Are there any you know shows you're into? Do you, how do you relax? How do you how do you unwind? Um, gosh, well, I, I'm still debating on whether this is um, unwinding or not, but I do love the Real Housewives. That is my guilty <laughs> pleasure. Okay, we'll start there. I'm, it's all going to go up from here, but we'll start Fair at the enough. rock bottom because everyone's like the Real Housewives. You deescalate <laughs> and want to listen to women scream at each other. I'm like, I don't know. It just relaxes me, you know. That, so that's what I'm watching on TV. That's you know, we all kind of need our little fun show. I also love to be outdoors. I love nature. I'm a I'm a Taurus, so you know I'm an Earth child. I love uh, green. I, I have plants all around me. I have my she shed. I'm gardening in the spring, in the summer, and one of the things that I've done in recent years is uh, start raising butterflies. So I've learned actually my my. Um, my in-laws have have taught me they they live on a farm here in North Carolina, a big 300 acre farm, and they kind of taught me what to plant to attract butterflies to my yard. So I have milkweed for monarchs. I have parsley and, and dill to attract swallowtail butterflies and they come and I get to watch them lay eggs all summer long. And then I raise them and I, I put them in enclosures. I keep them from predators. I watch them transform from these tiny little microscopic things. And then they build these chrysalises and they don't even look like there's something living, right? Meanwhile, inside this chrysalis, they're going through this amazing transformation. And then to actually watch one emerge and its wings dry out and it starts flapping and it went from this ugly little worm to this beautiful butterfly that gives me so much hope that really helps me unwind after you know hearing some of the things that I hear throughout the day to be able to come home and just do something like that that shares so much joy with the world I think it's it, it, it's it's good for the soul. So I think uh, definitely anytime you can get out in nature and just enjoy, whether it's the beach, the mountains, whatever it is, just get outside. It, it heals the soul. All right. So what's next for Tiffany? 
Uh, you know, I am doing a lot with, with NAMI, with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I, you know, do a lot of events and advocacy for there. I, I have really recently found a passion for the LGBTQ community. We've been able to kind of start a pride here locally, and especially in the wake of <clears throat> what happened recently in Colorado. I think more than ever, we need to be able to come out and support this community. It's more important now than ever. So as we begin to wind down this interview, what's the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Yeah, sure. So I am on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, Simply Deescalate. And you can purchase my book on Amazon.com, Simply Deescalate by Tiffany Herring. And you can also, I, I'm available for public speaking events and presentations. So if you want to uh, email me, you can go to www.tiffanyherring.com. And that's T-I-F-F-A-N-I-E. H-E-R-R-I-N-G. All right. I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? Just take a beat. Just take a beat. Like when you get that, you know, email that, you know, you've interpreted as having a little bit of tone, when you've read that comment on, on Twitter or Instagram, and you just want to fire off, you know, that immediate reaction, you know, to, to just, just take a beat and gather your thoughts, you know, that we, we react so quickly. And, and when we can take that time to slow everything down and really be thoughtful in our responses, um, you know, that's where effective communication um, begins. And I actually saw this amazing quote today. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle. Um, I know the name. He says, uh, anything that you resent and strongly react to in another is also in you. Hmm. So I thought that was very powerful today just because, um, you know, sometimes we respond because we want to be right, right? We want to be the best. We want to feel like we've got that, you know, last shot in. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody has to win. It's just, it's about just radiating love for other people, even the people that you hate, even the people that you, you know, don't like, you know, send them joy and love because that's what it's all about. That energy that we put out totally comes back to us 100%. And we've just got to have more love for each other in this world. The back of my Christmas cards I send out every year is a picture of my dog wearing antlers. But underneath it, it says, be the joy you want to see in this world. I love that one too. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The book is Simply Deescalate, available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or wherever books are sold. Tiffany, thanks ever so much for taking the time out of your – I know – very busy schedule to come on the show. This has been informative, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Derek. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 112. I want to thank Tiffany for taking the time to come on the show. She's an incredibly kind-natured guest, and I absolutely loved connecting with her. If you haven't had a chance to check out her book, Go to her website, tiffanyherring.com, to get on top of that oversight. Tune in again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. All right, a few housekeeping items before we close out today. If you haven't had a chance to check out our store on Public, folks, we have everything from magnets, stickers, and mugs, plus a carefully curated collection of T-shirts put together by myself and Mrs. Duvall. 
Be sure to go to our website, DerekDevallShow.com. Look on the banner of the Lift Assist merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on TeePublic. And folks, I want to thank TeePublic for being such great partners. On behalf of myself and Mindy Duvall, Nadala Klawan to you all, and we'll see you again with the last episode of 2022 in a few days. No star, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.